Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Agroni. I'm the box office columnist for Adam Tickets, head writer of Cinemaholics.com, and I occasionally write books. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. It's Will Ashton. Hey, John. Will, how are you doing? I've been away, but you've been taking care of business. I'm so proud of you. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. We, we had a crazy couple of weeks, and I was incapacitated, I suppose you could say. And thank you, Will, for stepping up with Sam Nolan last week to talk about Judy. And you also talked about the fanatic with Corey Woodruff. And you did our mm-hmm. latest extra milestone with Sam. Will, you're just an overachiever. Mm-hmm. I guess so. I'm trying to appeal to you. I'm trying to get that A from you, John the Crony. <laughs> Well, you're still at a B plus, but no, nah, I'm joking. Always an A plus, yeah. Will Ashen, um, on the oh, show. Appreciate that. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive, all of our previous episodes, including bonus episodes. It's all on cinemaholics.com, along with our written reviews and interviews and all the other extra stuff we do. You write into the show anytime by sending us a quick email. Uh, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com is our email, as always. And if you'd like to support us directly, you can become one of our monthly Patreon patrons on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. Or you can go to Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Play, Google Podcasts, whatever it's called, Stitcher, and you can leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. And with that, let's get into our off topics because we're going to be talking about Joker later in this show. But for now, let's talk about some of the films that we haven't seen yet. I do want to say before we get to that, we do have an extra milestone that is out, as I mentioned before. Will, tell us all about it. What is this extra milestone? Why should the listeners check it out if they have not already? Sure. Yeah, it's our long-delayed extra milestone for the month of August as well as September. Uh, Sam Nolan and myself, we talked about On the Waterfront and Rear Window. Um, On the Waterfront is the Ellie Kazan movie of much acclaim with uh, Marlon Brando. And then Rear Window is obviously the uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie with James Stewart. Uh, Both films came out in, uh, what was it, 1954, if I'm remembering correctly? That's right, yeah. Yeah, so 65 years anniversary. Exactly, yeah, so... They were both celebrating their 65th anniversary this year, and we decided to talk about them. And I think it's a fun episode, so I would I would definitely recommend it, especially if you love James Stewart impressions gone amok. <laughs> so that's a uh, fun little uh, tease, I guess, for what you can expect in the episode. I've only listened to the first half of the episode because I rewatched On the Waterfront last week, listened to okay. your review of that. I need to rewatch Rear Window, hopefully today. And I'm going to listen to the rest of that episode. Loving it so far. Thanks again well, to thanks. you, Will, and of course, Sam, for hosting yeah. uh, our Extra Milestone. We are working on our next one, and all of the choices are out right now. So if you want to vote and on which Extra Milestone movie we're going to do, if you're new to the show, Extra Milestone is where we celebrate a film anniversary, like Will was saying. And for the month of October, we have a lot of really good ones. We have Terminator for 1984. We have Ed Wood from 1994, Pulp Fiction from that same year. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, hence Jimmy Stewart. So plenty of films to look at in addition to those. So I would definitely go to cinemahawks.com. Go to our latest episode of Extra Milestone. Super easy to find. Leave us a comment. You can see all the choices right there. We want to know what you want us to talk about. And that will be coming up later this month. For now, let's talk about a few movies that we've either seen or not seen. The ones we haven't seen that are in, I know, I think I think Lucy in the Sky, is that a wide release film? No, that's limited. Okay. Um, it's supposed to get a, a wide release, I think, in the next couple of weeks. I mean, I'm assuming it may not get uh, that wide release at this point based on the reviews, which I believe you're about to talk about right now. 
Yeah, I was going to say. So it's a uh, limited release, as you said, and it's not in a lot of theaters. It is in the Bay Area, weirdly enough. So it's playing some places. This movie stars Natalie Portman. It was produced by Reese Witherspoon. It was directed by Noah Hawley, who I guess, you know, you're probably, I know you've mentioned this, but uh, he's the guy behind Fargo, the TV series. I know you're really a big mm-hmm. fan of, and Legion, which you're yeah. a fan of and want to catch up on. Uh, a lot of people probably know him as work on Bones. Um, yeah, you were, I think you were saying the other week that you wanted to catch up on it. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So interesting kind of like space movie about a real person, um, Lucy Cola, who went on like a space mission or something. Is that true? It was like, it's like loosely based on someone named Lisa, right? So that's not a real yeah. person named Lucy. Right. I mean, I don't know. The story, I think, is from like 2008. And it's loosely based on the lady who like was driving cross country to like kidnap a woman that she was in like a love triangle with, with a fellow astronaut. Right, yeah. And um, I think the most famous thing about it is that like there were reports that she was like wearing like a diaper going cross country so she wouldn't have to stop. And like that was like highly mocked through like the talk show circuits and stuff like that. But like that part of it's been disputed. So that's not even in the movie. <laughs> so like the most famous aspect of the story isn't really in the film apparently, but it has an interesting concept, just the idea of like, if you go to like the outer realms of space and you see the world from like the galaxy and the universe and like you expect to just kind of come back home and live a normal life, like what does that do to the mental physique? And I think that's a really interesting idea for a film, but unfortunately the review suggests that it's not really worth it, which is quite unfortunate in my opinion. Plus we already saw this done in Ad Astra like two weeks ago. So in a way. Yeah. But well, yeah. at least it's, yeah. I mean, it's not like another middle-aged guy in space though right that's I mean, true there something to be i guess that yeah that's true so th- this is from fox searchlight which feels like a production company on its way out just because disney bought them and it, it just feels more and more like fox searchlight films are kind of on the line the cast here is like fantastic so i i was kind of looking forward to mm-hmm. it I, I still think i want to see it to make my make up my own mind but john ham is mm-hmm. in the films ozzy beats who is in joker as we'll talk about later dan stevens nick offerman i mean it's it's a good cast and yeah like you like you were alluding to it's only made what's oh gosh it's only made nineteen thousand dollars at the box office it's got a 27 million dollar budget so i mean we'll see what happens when it expands its release but i I was looking at a theater marquee the other day and there's for september slash october there are some like big movies out right now that people could see instead Mm -hmm. of this you know what i mean so like at astra good boys it chapter two like they're still playing in first run theaters and it feels like this one will have to compete quite a lot to get any attention it did premiere at tiff uh earlier in september so yeah i, I don't know well i don't know if, the, if this one's going to uh, go the distance if it's going to uh be out of this world i suppose uh, of a success and uh, especially because it's rotten tomatoes score uh 27 of critics uh, 70 critics counted liked yeah. it so 27 percent is not good yeah that's a shame i mean if it was good or you know even great i would highly i mean i'd be there as soon as i could but unfortunately yeah with the uh less than satisfactory reviews i i'll try to see it like you said like i'll try to see it when i can because i do think it's something that's going to probably be worth the theatrical experience at the very least just based on what i've heard about it but yeah it's a shame yeah and you know me i'm always i always come out to the theater for to support natalie portman it's just what i do i was gonna say yeah i think she's great i mean obviously i i have uh <laughs> spoken nothing but praise of vox <laughs> lux much of your disdain but that's i won't right. uh dig into that wound anymore we also haven't had a chance to see Pain and Glory, which I think, uh, so that's like the new kind of festival. Maybe it's going to 
have an Oscar for Antonio Banderas movie. Mm. I think that's just playing in LA and New York at the moment. So I'm not as aware. Hopefully we'll be catching that later this month because that one looks like it is a must-see. And then there's Dolomite Is My Name. And Dolomite Is My Name Mm. is the film that could get Eddie Murphy uh, an Oscar nomination for Best Actor. Uh, That's at least what some of the people who've already seen it are kind of putting forth. Um, He will probably get nominated, maybe not win, because that's a really, really competitive category this year. But uh, I'm hearing great things about Dolomite is My Name. This is a Netflix movie that's going to be premiering, I think, later in October, correct? Uh, Yeah, it's coming to Netflix, but I do think it is getting a at least limited theatrical release as uh, some of the other Netflix titles are getting. It's in limited release right now. I actually see it right here. So Mm -hmm. it's in limited release right now. It's going to be streaming on October 25th. We missed this in our fall movie preview. Uh, I think because sometimes the Netflix movies just completely fly under our radar. So that's a shame on our part. But we are definitely hearing good things. I know you said earlier in the show or off air that Corey Woodruff checked this out at the Nashville Mm -hmm. Film Festival and was a fan. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've heard. And I've heard very good things from other colleagues of mine as well. So... I'm always down for a fun like movie about making movies. Uh, you know, obviously we just talked about Ed Wood. Um, there are several others that we can list, but yeah, I think it looks like a fun little movie, and I'm excited to see it. Yeah, and it looks like a good return to form for Craig Brewer, the director, who I, I know one yeah. of the first movies you and I ever talked about on a podcast or anything was The Legend of Tarzan, and that was a film that I I did not care for. You you thought was just like whatever. What did he do for that? Um, wasn't he, he wasn't the the screenwriter, was he? Oh, was he screenwriter for that? I know David yeah, Yates it was directed David it. David Yates but... directed it, and I think he co-wrote it with Adam Kazad. Hmm, I forgot about that. I didn't yeah. know that. So, um, I... But yeah, I mean, yeah, I think people mostly know him from like Hustle and Flow and yes. um, a couple Black State Moan, I think was another one he did. So he's doing uh, Coming to America, the sequel with Eddie Murphy. So I guess they really enjoyed working with each other. So yeah. it's good to hear. But all right, that'll do it for the films we, we have not seen <laughs> because, uh, yeah, neither of us have seen Dolomite is my name. But... There, there are a couple of films that you did see this past week. Uh, tell us all about In the Shadow of the Moon. This is a Netflix film? Yeah, this is one that um, came out, I think, a week or two ago. Um, I caught it off chance. Uh, yeah, it's Jim Merkel, I think, or Michael. I don't know how you pronounce his name, but he did Cole in July. He's the creator of Happ and Leonard. Um, I think that was on the Sundance TV channel. And then he's on a couple other th- films I'm forgetting at the moment. Uh, Stakeland. The and then that cannibal movie I'm forgetting the name of I think it's like we are what we are, uh so he's done a lot of different kind of genre things and a kind of more dramatic kind of subdued style and I think for the most part I've really enjoyed what he's done particularly I've liked uh, Cold in July his last film a good bit with um who was in that Michael C Hall and um, Don Johnson and somebody else I'm blanking on but yeah this one it's like a kind of out of the box film it's trying to be a like interstellar as the like father parable throughout like three generations while also incorporating time travel and this detective mystery throughout the film and uh i would say for the most part it, it has some interesting ideas and i think i was kind of with it for like the first half of the film but once you get to like the the halfway point and you're like oh without giving anything away it's like is this gonna go in this direction sure enough like even someone like me who's not very good at predicting twists in movies uh could see where this is going from several miles away so unfortunately it's an okay film i think it's another one of these netflix titles that's probably going to get buried under their endless stream of original content that they don't really promote and there's not really uh 
much to moan or uh, anything to really disdain about this one getting lost in time, I think, because um, it's just kind of okay. I do think it's worthwhile in that it does have some solid performances from Boyd Holbrook, who I think is a pretty underrated actor. He was in Logan and a couple other things recently. And uh, as well as uh, what's her name? Cleopatra. Um, I'll look it up. I don't want to mispronounce it. He was in uh, Walk Among the Tombstones. And uh, I think the yeah. first time I really he caught my attention was in Narcos, the TV show on Netflix, which I'm assuming that's where oh, was he on Narcos. Ca- yeah, he was like the main guy in the first season. OK. Uh, Cleopatra Coleman is the name I was thinking of. Uh, she was in Last Man on Earth and a couple other things. And she's quite good in this as well. Um, so, yeah, it's just an overall kind of OK film. I wish I had more to say about it, but. It's just another one of these Netflix films that just kind of fell under the radar for me. And uh, I don't think without reason. All right. Yeah, I know this one premiered at Fantastic Fest and I don't think a lot of people were talking about it. So it, it definitely wasn't on my radar. Yeah. Now, there's a film that Sam Nolan talked about on this show a few weeks ago called One Cut of the Dead. And he we mm-hmm. were actually talking in a, the Cinemaholics group chat about our favorite films of the decade. I put together a list and I shared it with you all. And then I think you shared like a top 10 you're kind of working on. And Sam mm. had one cut of the dead on his. And he loved that film. This is like the zombie meta filmmaking film out of Japan. And it looks like mm-hmm. you actually got a chance to see this one as well. Um, I definitely want to check it out. I think it's on Shutter at the moment. Is that true? Yeah, it just became a Shutter. Ex- yeah, it became a Shutter exclusive. Um, I think only a couple of days after Sam talked about it, but I believe he saw it in theaters. All right. What did you, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I mean, I saw it to start off my annual uh, 31 Days of Horror October Marathon. And I thought, you know, like, I guess, I don't know, for some reason, I thought one and one would be a fun thing to do. Like the first uh, movie being One it. Cut of the Dead. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, not that I put too much thought into these things, but uh, as a film, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm quite as high as uh, Sam was. He gave it like an A, right? Like not an A minus, but an A. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was like really, really about this film. And I can see that because there's a lot of people I've talked to who have been over, like through the roof in love with this film. Um, as for me, I, I thought it was really well done. Um, I definitely think the first act, because it's like you were saying, it's kind of a meta film that's broken up into three chunks. Um, and the first uh, act, which is about like a 37 minute single take, the titular one cut of the dead uh, that involves like this film crew that uh, gets uh, bombarded by this zombie attack. Uh, I think that's really well done. And there's like a lot of kind of like screwy things throughout the film or throughout that scene. It's like, that's because that's kind of odd. That's kind of weird. And then um, I think by the third act, they really kind of connect well in a way that's surprisingly really sweet and touching and also just generally pretty funny. And uh, it's certainly very um, relatable if you've ever worked on any like small budget film where you have to kind of do everything as fast as you can. And then I think there's like a very nice message here about how like filmmaking is basically just like a lot of happy accents and like all these different things. It's just kind of coming together. And ultimately just when you have like a crew of people working together and having their best interest into putting together a product that uh, works, I think there is something very sweet about that. And I think the movie communicates that well, as far as low budget horror films. But I think for me, the second act kind of lingers in a way that I think if that was a little stronger, I'd be closer to where Sam is on the film. But to me, that kind of felt like a little sitcom It didn't quite work as well as the first and third act. And I was kind of just waiting for it to move along till it got to the, the more enjoyable stuff at the end. So for me, I think it's fun. I don't. Yeah, like I said, I don't quite think I'm on Sam's level with it, but I'll have to go back and listen to what he said to see 
what exactly he was praising in full. But um, for me, I was between a B and a B plus. Um, I think just because it's just charming enough and very enjoyable and I can't see anyone really disliking this film. I'm going to give it a solid B plus just because it is kind of worth the while. I do think especially if you have a background in making low budget films, you're really going to enjoy the effort that went into this. But um, yeah, I don't know if I'm quite a level as Sam was. Sounds to me like you are implicitly trying to tell cinemaholic Sam Nolan to make his <laughs> first movie. I think that's what I'm sure. hearing right now. So yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, I, that's that is a message really sending to him. As soon as you mentioned how like filmmaking is a bunch of happy accidents, I immediately thought of the quote from Bob Ross, and uh, now I'm a little now I'm a little waxing nostalgic. Yeah. Was it? What are you talking? You're not talking about happy trees. Like, what are you talking about? Um, no. So Bob Ross has a whole quote about how life isn't full of mistakes; it's full of happy accidents. Oh, I see. Okay, maybe that's where I got that from. Yeah, and I know I know filmmakers have like brought that up a lot. Like, I think Orson Welles and even maybe Hitchcock have talked about how like the key to like being a filmmaker is like re- recognizing the happy accidents. Pretty po- pretty popular film making mentality that I've always connected mm-hmm. with. But all right, that's one cut of the yeah. dead. Strong B plus from the last on that mm-hmm. one. All right. Uh, I, I only saw one other movie besides Joker this week, and that was The Kill Team. Uh, the Kill Team is actually an A24 film, which I didn't know when I was checking out the screening for it. And this one premiered at Tribeca back in April. And it is going to be, I think, str- I don't think it's going to be streaming or I think it hits like a very limited release uh, in October, but I think it's going to be streaming at the same time on October 25th. So I'm excited to talk about this one. It, it's a war film uh, written and directed by Dan Krauts, who is probably better known as a cinematographer. Uh, I'm not sure like if you've seen any of his films, but he worked on The the Death of Kevin Carter, OJ Made in America. Uh, he was um, the cinematographer for... Or, wait, was he... You you know the documentary um, Extremist? It's like a short doc. Oh, I haven't heard that. That one that one was directed by him, and I think that was like the last okay. thing he directed. And he, he's he's been kind of an interesting guy. He did a uh, a documentary about the same subject uh, called The Kill Team uh, back in 2014, and it got some awards attention. And so this film, the, the Kill Team, is like a narrative version of that. It's an adaptation of real life events and the documentary where it's about these soldiers who they get this new staff sergeant who kind of like convinces them to basically commit war crimes. Uh, It's pretty bleak. Um, The movie stars Nat Wolf, uh, who you'll remember from movies like death notes and I always get him confused Mm -hmm. with Alex Wolf. So I don't want to do that. Yeah, I Um, (laughs) I do too. It always happens. Uh, Alex Wolf was in Hereditary, and I almost said Hereditary, right. but no, that's not mm-hmm. him. This is his older brother, Alex. Yeah, I mean, not to make it um, too superficial, but I think one has like a mole on his like upper yeah. lip, and the other doesn't. That's the only way I can tell him. I can differentiate. Them. Right, they're not even uh, twins. Not that they, I was gonna say it's not even that they look that similar. Just when I see their names, I'm just like, right. All right, let me yeah. see. Let me find that mole. Yeah, but that said, I think the last movie of like prominence I remember seeing him in was definitely Death Note. Um, I think some of the other stuff he's done, I haven't seen him in. He's done like smaller movies. He was in uh, The Intern. Uh, he was in Leap. He was in Paper Towns. That was like his oh yeah probably, probably his first like really big lead role because he I think the first time we saw him in like a major movie and like any kind of role was probably The Fault in Our Stars. He's one of the supporting characters in that. Oh yeah, the um the friend, the blind guy. 
Yeah, yeah. And I always liked him a lot in Stuck in Love, uh, the 2012 film. It's kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, that okay. said... That's uh, also from The Fault in Our Stars director, right? Yeah, cause, no, no. Because Josh Boone yeah. did Stuck in Love. Did yeah. Josh, you're right, you're yeah. right, you're right. Josh, for some reason, I was thinking of John Green. And I was like, wait, John Green, the author, he didn't direct Fault in Our Stars. <laughs> I, no. I was like, I was like messing up on that. Okay, Josh Boone, he did direct Fault in Our Stars and Stuck in Love, yes. Um, but yeah, that Nat Wolf, kind of an interesting actor, and this is his movie. Like he he runs this movie with uh, the main antagonist Alexander Skarsgård, who is kind of like he's basically like the J.K. Simmons whiplash presence in this movie. Definitely a different dynamic. Oh. I don't want to compare the two films hmm. too closely. Okay, but yeah. there there is like this sort of like seduction of. Nat Wolf plays a soldier who he wants to be team leader. He wants to make the sergeant happy. He, but then like it progressively becomes kind of a really tense nail biter of a film sure. when he like starts to wonder like, is what we're doing morally ethical here? And th- this is a movie I like, but don't love it. It definitely has a lot of fascinating subject matter going on here. Uh, it's talking about a, an element of the military that is definitely not easy to talk about and I, I think a documentary can do a great job of illuminating these events. But I think that this narrative is, from appearances at least, is a good companion piece. I have not seen the documentary, but I'm interested to check it out and see how the two play with one another. I do really enjoy just like the attention to detail in this film, uh, the way military life is portrayed. It's it's a nuance. It's not this is not in like anti-military, the military is terrible kind of movie, but it is sort of getting at like there is a way for us to um, put our soldiers in situations where this sort of thing doesn't happen, where they're murdering and hating other human beings for reasons that really amount to racism and systemic oppression of other cultures. And it's not an easy watch, but I do think it's, it's kind of an important film. And I think if I had to pick between Wolf and Skarsgård is like who really runs this movie. It's definitely Wolf and Skarsgård, Skarsgård is just kind of chilling in this movie. He gets like one scene where you start to really see like the cracks beneath his like character, which I did find fascinating. But for the most part, yeah, he, he didn't stand out quite as much to me as, as Wolf, who is like just really selling this. So for that performance alone, I'm, I'm going to elevate this one to a really, really solid B. If, if you can check it out. Uh, on streaming or, or in the theater. I, I definitely think it's worth your time. The The rest of the supporting cast is strong as well. Uh, Adam Long is in this film. And uh, I, I think that he uh, he adds like a nice little extra e- extra element of that, that like sort of like devil and angel sort of uh, structure of the main character and deciding what is right, what is wrong. And uh, people might get a kick out of it. I just don't think you have to really run out to go see it anytime soon. It really is kind of like a B minus film that I really want to just bump up to the B level because I, I do really like what Nat Wolf is doing here. And I think that he, uh, I, I think he really nailed it. I think he really nailed it out of the park on what what it's like to be a soldier in this kind of situation and really sold like the decision-making he makes in this film. It's not easy to watch, but you kind of get it. And uh, I think that is because the performance and the direction from Dan Krauss makes it believable. So uh, I'm a fan of the kill team. Um, yeah, I, that one, I think, uh, like I said before, I think it'll probably be streaming on like Amazon prime. Maybe I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where it's going to mm-hmm. come out, but it's a 24. So it, it could go anywhere. But all right. And then the other thing that I saw, I didn't see any other films, but I did see a new TV show on Netflix called The Politician. And I think you've heard about this one, right, Will? 
Yeah, I was going to say, I'm kind of curious to hear where you stand on this, because um, I actually haven't heard any reviews about this, but I saw the trailer and it's like, hmm, you know, it seems kind of interesting. It's another Ryan yeah. Murphy production, and I'm kind of hit or miss with his stuff, so I wanted to see where you landed on it. Right. I, I haven't seen any reviews for this, so I don't know. I don't know how my yeah. opinion shakes out with everybody else's, but sure. I have seen other people sort of like live tweet seeing this show. And okay. some of their strong reactions. So I kind of have a little bit of a sense of the effect this show has been having. Okay. And I'm glad you mentioned that because, yes, this was created by Ryan Murphy, who uh, pretty well known for a lot of like really well-known TV. I think American Horror Story, American Crime Story. I have yeah. to say, this is the first show from him where I've really like really watched it. Like I've watched multiple episodes in a row and I've been invested. I've watched an entire thing. Um, I'm, I'm on like the very last episode, so I haven't finished the first season. It's only eight episodes, but I'm on like the very last like half of the final episode. I haven't seen one of his shows like this since Glee. And even then I didn't finish Glee. Like I think I bowed out pretty early on in that series, but that was the last time I really was in a Ryan Murphy show. And I actually forgot a lot of the Ryan Murphy isms that he likes to input in certain things. I don't know how much the politician shares in its DNA with some of his later projects. I really don't. Like, I haven't seen enough of American Horror Story to know. Besides, like, there are some, like, cameos and stuff from people who've been in all of his stuff. But that yep. said, I did see a ton of common similarity between... This is the sequel, the spiritual successor to Glee in a lot of ways. Oh. And that's not to huh. say it's a very similar show in conception. It really yeah, isn't. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> but in style, mm -hmm. in, like, there's a lot of, like music numbers where you know there's a lot of singing <laughs> that that happens you know not as much as in glee but you can definitely tell ryan murphy still loves that uh putting that into his stuff and there's just a lot of really weird over-the-top characters who do ridiculous things that are meant to just sort of shock and disturb and provoke you but in a way that's kind of light it's not this isn't a show that ever gets too dark but it does get really dark uh i, I shouldn't i shouldn't lighten this up so the show itself is about a, a young man, uh, a high school senior named Peyton Hobart. He's played by Ben Platt, who I, I, you know, when I was watching him, the only thing I could remember him from was, uh, I know he was in Book of Mormon and uh, I think he was, uh, oh gosh, the Pitch Perfect movies. Isn't he in uh, Dear Evan Hansen? Yes. He um, isn't. Yeah, yeah. That was the other one. Okay. And then he's um, going to be in that Richard Linklater thing with, uh, Bernie Feldstein, the like thing that's yeah, the one that's like going gonna be... over the decade. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I forget what what is that one. I don't remember what that one's called, but uh, it's like uh, merrily we roll. Merrily we go along. Yeah, merrily we yeah. go along. I think. Merrily we roll along. I think that's what it is. Sorry, merrily we roll along. Yeah. So he he's the main actor in this. Uh, he is he is definitely a tour de force <laughs> in this show. He really carries it. Zoe Deutsch uh, is in this film, who is uh, a young girl who um, she has cancer. But I, I, that's all I'll say. Um, there, there's uh, definitely some interesting stuff going on with that character. Lucy Boyd. Well, they reveal some other stuff in the trailer. So, like, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to go too far though, because okay. you never know. Um, Lucy Boynton, you might remember her from Apostle, Murder in the Orient Express, but uh, one of my favorite films of the decade, Sing Street. Um, that's in my top thirty. Uh, she was she was the main uh, love interest in that film, and a bunch of other people. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is in this film, Jessica Lange. And I'll, I'll all say about this, this show and I'll actually, no, I'll explain a little bit more what it's about. So the, the premise is that Peyton is a guy who wants to be president someday. 
and but he has to in his mind he has to go to harvard and he has to become student body president because he's run the numbers and he's like if i'm not student body president the chances of me becoming the president of the united states is super low so really what you're watching is like a really high stakes campaign for him to become president he has this very energetic staff around him who are like just so ryan they're such ryan murphy characters like it's absurd where they talk really fast they like seemingly are endless pits of like knowledge and exposition uh it's it's something else he has his own house of cards robin wright who is just sort of his like propped up trophy first wife like that kind of thing and there's an interesting love triangle with this one character who also was running for president who clearly has like an effect on him but the real the real thing of this show is like you're trying to understand like what makes a politician tick, who are these really ambitious people who become our senators, who become our presidents, and are they really sociopathic? Are they really narcissists? And if so, what could get to someone like that? Who what is the thing that has to happen to make a politician a human being? That's the thrust of the show. And in and in that sense, I think it's successful. I think it's successfully paints a portrait of what it means to be a politician in 2019 and what makes them tick. This sense of like, they don't really feel anything. They will say and do anything to make something happen, but there's more to it than that. I think we've seen a lot of shows and TV and and movies address how politicians can be wooden and hollow and devoid of values. But in this one, it actually wants to show you like what, what could humanize and round out a person like that? What could be behind the facade that they're, that they're putting out there? And in that sense, I think it's, it's a fascinating character study with some ridiculous plotting. Uh, it, it is Ryan Murphy-esque in the sense that you, you'll want to keep watching it to see what happens next. I don't know if a lot of people are going to love the way this journey ends in the first season, and it definitely is propping up more to come. And I do really appreciate this show for taking some seriously bold risks and going in directions that I think are just wild and out there. And they remind me of what I did really like about like the first season or two of Glee, where you really did get a sense of like the heart behind these characters and where they go. And unlike Glee, this actually tells a story that could end, (laughs) you know, like Glee just never ended. Like they just kept going and going and repeating and repeating. This one goes to places where you're like, Oh, we're going here now. I like that. Like there, there is a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of twists and turns here that are welcome and interesting. And but you will roll your eyes so much at this show. I think a lot of people are going to watch this and be like, "Wow, okay, I feel stupid for having watched this." But not not completely, not throughout the entire thing. There's stuff in here that I think is worth seeing. It's just. It's just a hard show. To, it's like the guilty pleasure show of the year in some ways. Like I think this show and The Boys could like compete with each other for for shows you should feel guilty about watching. Not really should, but you know what I mean. I'm just sort of like they, they're so on the on the nose of like what they're trying to say and do, but in a way that is entertaining, which I think is really important. And I do one last thing I want to shout out is the opening theme is Chicago by Sufjan Stevens, which is probably my favorite song from him. So I, oh, I love... It's tough to pick. It, it is tough to pick, but Chicago is like... Oof, that is, and, and the way they weave it into yeah. this show is uh, pretty pretty extraordinary for me. I, I really loved it. So mm-hmm. that's that's Politician. I don't know. Well, I don't know if I can recommend this to you. I, I don't know if it's really going to be up your alley. Maybe give it a shot. Okay. Well, I don't know for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll tell you my experience with Ryan Murphy, and you can kind of gauge okay based on what I've seen if it's it's uh, something I would enjoy. So I've seen uh, the first season of American Crime Story. Really dug that. 
um even despite uh john travolta's performance um i did i did enjoy uh feud um betty and joan the uh joan crawford uh betty davis thing um normal heart i thought was pretty good um and i uh i remember liking running with scissors when i saw it uh as a teen but i imagine it doesn't hold up well but i'm not crazy about e pray love and i haven't watched glee or american horror story but i've heard uh glee starts off good and just gets terrible and then american horror story is like a show that no one can agree on at all <laughs> like no one can agree <laughs> what's a good season yeah. but everyone can agree on what are the bad seasons so um yeah I, I, with that in mind would you say that's the politician is something i should check out i have heard posse's really good though his other show on fx i haven't seen that one it's a toss-up yeah. will it really is i think okay. that i only i only would have a good idea if you had seen glee i think that's like the main okay connective tissue i say try out the first episode it's kind of long and if yeah, it's he just directed, not right? yeah he did and if it's mm-hmm. not working for you at all I'd, I'd say you can bow out it probably probably isn't okay. for you um if that's the case so i mean it just, looks like a good like fun dark comedy so that's kind of just what the way i'd view it like a kind of fun dark comedy yeah i think i think that's a good way to put it yeah okay but that is The Politician. It's now streaming on Netflix. Curious what other people might think of this. I, I Again, I have no idea what the reviews are saying. Uh, it yeah. could be one of the most hated shows since, like, Insatiable. I, I really don't know. But uh, That's coming back soon. Yeah, I know. Uh, oh, I have it right here. Uh, it has a 56% okay. on Rotten Tomatoes out of 75 yeah. reviews. So it's definitely mixed. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of polarizing. Um which isn't too surprising to me. I, I watching this show, I did not get the sense that it was like going to be a real crowd pleaser, a critic pleaser, what have you. But I think people will get a kick out of this if they like uh, a certain a certain type of show. I, I forgot to mention too, Bette Midler is in this. Uh, she doesn't show up till toward the end, but she is a delight. Like I, I like watching her in her like one episode, I was so so happy, and I was like, can she just have her own show? can this be her show now and unfortunately that didn't happen but uh, i don't hold the show too responsible for my expectations so that's politician all right that'll do it for our off topics a lot of a lot of other stuff we wanted to cover but let's get into our main review of the day and that is joker (laughs) gotham has lost its way what kind of coward would do something that cold-blooded? Someone who hides behind a mask. I used to think that my life was a tragedy. But now I realize it's a comedy. All right, we've seen what has felt like countless iterations of the Joker on screen before. We've seen him in live action movies and TV shows. We've seen him in animated movies and TV shows and video games, everything in between. He's mm. arguably the most iconic comic book villain of all time. And I, I don't know if you'll agree with this, but I, I, I think he is the most iconic comic book movie villain of all time, thanks to Heath Ledger. Uh, who had performed him 
in a winning way in the Dark Knight yeah. over a decade ago. But and what do you Jack think? Nicholson. I mean, what say again? And Jack Nicholson and Batman. That's right. In the 80s. Yeah. So and Cesar Romero, of course, and like mm-hmm. with all those jokers, like bring. I, I think he is probably the most iconic. I, I know a lot of people might say, well, you know, Lex Luthor, maybe. But mm. what, what do you think? Do you think uh, do you agree with do you agree with me on this one? Probably. Yeah. I mean, you could obviously name other examples. I mean, Lex Luthor. Um, oh, I don't know. I guess now Thanos. But um, uh, yeah, I would nowhere say, near. <laughs> yeah, maybe not quite yet. But um, yeah, I would say Joker almost assuredly is probably the, the most familiar and iconic of uh, certainly of the Batman villains and probably of all the comic book villains at this point. It's the one that probably people recognize the most and are most familiar with, even if they aren't really comic book fans or movie lovers. Yeah. So that makes sense. Honestly, I, th- I think that's the case, because when we say iconic, it's not just like the way he looks and it's not just the uh, the different actors who've played him, but it really is the effect on culture. And I think Joker in comic books and in comic book movies has just had a profound effect on culture. Mm-hmm. So it makes a lot of sense that he's getting his own movie now. I do want to ask you this one question. We don't have yep. to belabor it, but of all of the Jokers we've seen, whether they've been live action, animated, on screen, whatever, do you have a favorite? Um, I mean, it's a cliched answer. I'd say probably Heath Ledger. I mean, that was the one where it really just, I mean, that, that movie came out such a pivotal point of like me realizing like, oh, this is what a comic book movie could be. You know, obviously I enjoyed them several times before with, uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies and even Tim Burton's Batman movies and stuff, but, uh, or the, uh, Richard Donner Superman movies, but that was like the one in that performance, I'd say especially was the one where it just, everything was just like, oh, so this is what the genre could be or what is what I could do. And it, it made sense that he was the Oscar winning performance there. And I mean, even outside of his, un- his tragic and unfortunate death, I mean, yeah, it's, it's the, it's probably the most iconic interpretation of the character for a reason, but you could, you could make a great case for Mark Hamill, I'd say too, or Jack Nicholson. I was going to say, I I agree with you. I mean, the Heath Ledger performance is, it's been talked about to death. It, it It's obviously one of the most, uh, just, it, it just changed everything. It changed yeah. comic book movies, it changed, uh, I know, I, I understand. Yeah. But it's, it is yeah. that kind of thing where it really did leave an effect. And it, it was the kind of performance that it opened the doors for comic book movies to become more than they are. And a lot of that hinged on Heath Ledger. And I'd say Christian Bale too. I think that he was a fantastic Batman. But for me, my personal favorite is the one you, you said before was uh, Mark Hamill. I, I just, when I think of the Joker, I, I immediately think of Batman in the animated series. I, I love that version of the Joker. I love how complex he is. I love his, he's just such a perfect blend to me of like all the things I personally find compelling and entertaining about the Joker. It's like his charming, but like off-putting nature, the the way that he taunts Batman, the way that he can be a psychopath, but then also sort of be this like, terribly unfunny stand-up clown it, it's it's great it, it's mark hamill you're you're a legend and a treasure and we love you but uh yes a lot of people will have their own favorite jokers i'm sure some people love jared leto's version for some reason yeah. i mean every everybody has their stuff but um we have a new joker uh we have yeah. joker the movie and this is a standalone at least in theory because we don't know if warner brothers is going to try to make another one of these because it has been extremely successful at the box office a standalone origin story slash prequel of the joker in his days before he ever meets the batman years before he meets batman and this is way before he actually becomes the clown prince of crime we know from 
all of these years, nearly 80 years of Joker canon. This is the story. It's kind of like Killing Joke, where we're kind of exploring who he was before then. But unlike Killing Joke, it's just the flashback nature. And I shouldn't say flashback in the sense like this movie isn't shot like a flashback. It is like a straightforward narrative. It has a beginning, middle, end. Uh, There's no cutting back and forth or anything like that. I do want to say the identity of Joker has always sort of been mysterious. Like a lot of comics, a lot of shows have sort of avoided the topic of like, where did Joker come from? Who is he really? We have had exceptions like Jack Nicholson, of course, has a backstory. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's not always like a clear cut explanation for where he comes from. Sometimes there is. And then it's said like, oh, this could be one of many ways he becomes a Joker. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I loved about the Heath Ledger one is that like, he gives like three origins right? because he's such a psychopath. Like we, it, one of them could be the real one or they could all be fake. We don't know. So that, I thought that yeah. was handled really well in that movie. They could all be true. I don't know. I'm yeah. mad. Uh, but yes, uh, right. you're right. It, it is something about the Joker I've always preferred. I don't think it ruins the character to sort of tell where he comes from. I don't think that's the main thing that makes Joker interesting. But I do. I agree. It's It's something that I find more interesting than not. And this movie definitely goes for the other version where, no, we're going to find out what is his name? Where did he come from? It lays out the source of his motivations, his backstory, what makes him a villain? How did he get here? That is this movie. He's played in the film by Joaquin Phoenix, one of our best working actors today, in my opinion. Absolutely. Fully committed to this role, Joaquin Phoenix. Like he is mm-hmm. all over this movie. Uh, He is absolutely in it. Uh, The script is by Billy Chu. Todd Phillips directed the film. Uh, Todd Phillips, of course, from The Hangover, uh, all the sequels, Road Trip, Old School, more of a comedy director, kind of taking his hand at like a comic book movie by way of Martin Scorsese. Really, I said this in my own review of the film. It really does sort of feel like he just wanted to make a movie about like a deranged person, but then was like, you know, let's make it a Joker film because then more people will see it, which... I can respect that, honestly. Like, I can respect, like, finding comic book stuff, source material, and doing your own, like, kind of like what graphic novels do, where, like, artists will come in and be like, you know, I want to tell this really interesting story. I could use, I could adapt, you know, a well-known comic book lore, and that would get more people to check it out, and it could be interesting in its own right. So I have no problem with that personally. I think that's what he's doing here in a lot of ways. I think he's even admitted to some extent that's kind of his his goal. Uh, rounding out the cast, we have Zazie Beetz, Robert De Niro, Francis Conroy, a lot of people in this film. But honestly, to me, they're all very secondary compared to Phoenix. Like the focus of this movie is on him. He is like the main actor in every way. He plays Arthur Fleck, a mentally ill and body misshapen outcast who wants to be a comedian. But even deeper, he just wants to understand his place in society. He, he wants to understand what makes people laugh. What do they find funny? Because he believes that if he can figure that out, he can become accepted. And as we meet him, he really lives this sort of pitiful existence on the fringes of society in Gotham City. And Gotham City here is kind of like a late 1970s, early 1980s version of New York with a little bit of Philadelphia Mm -hmm. and Chicago, which has always been Gotham City uh, to an extent. Mm -hmm. And a lot of direct references, not just to the time period here, but to... Uh, the way Martin Scorsese has brought about this kind of location in a lot of his classic films, um, the first two most people will think of when they're watching this is The King of Comedy and Taxi Driver. Of course. King of Comedy, especially because of the casting of, well, mm-hmm. both of them have Robert De Niro, but Robert De Niro kind of in the late night talking show host sort of thing, which is like right out of King of Comedy. And like in a, both of yeah. those movies, Arthur Fleck experiences, especially in Taxi Driver, but Arthur goes through both a degression and a progression 
and becoming someone he feels like he was always meant to be. He was always destined to become this person. And and like in those movies, the way Scorsese does his anti-heroes, he's like, and not that Joker is an anti-hero, he's just a villain in this movie, but he mm-hmm. he both degresses and progresses at the same time. And I actually think it's sort of brilliant to make a movie with the intention of merging the Scorsese anti-hero of that era of film with something like the Joker. I think the two actually can mash up in an interesting way where you get something kind of new out of it, at least if that's your intention. I'm not saying that's what this film does necessarily, but I really love the conceit of it. I think like what they're going for here makes sense. It should be successful without giving too much of the plot away because you know there's not much of a plot. I think this movie is pretty simple. The structure is pretty straightforward, but in the way that it is, there is a plot, Arthur carries out an act of violence in self-defense, and then he realizes the effect it has not just on him, but on society around him. And he starts to believe maybe violence is worthwhile. Maybe that's what's going to set me on this path of self-actualization. And then we see that play out in the most served way possible. Now, Will Ashton, we have been following this movie's trajectory for a while now, maybe since the very beginning of Cinemaholics. And I recall you were a bit more optimistic about the film's chances mm-hmm. before we even saw a frame. I remember you were kind of yep. like, this could be good. This could be really interesting. Then we started seeing yep. more of it. And I started to see kind of what you were seeing early on. How has Joker danced with your expectations? Did it dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is definitely something that was uh, on my radar for a number of reasons. Obviously, I think, as you mentioned, Joaquin Phoenix is, if not the best working actor right now, certainly one of the best working actors right now. I think he's a phenomenal talent and the dedication and the filmmakers that he's chosen to work with are just very much in my interest. And when I heard that they're basically going to do the Joker by way of King of Comedy, which is, uh, as you mentioned, one of my favorite Scorsese movies and probably my favorite Robert De Niro performance, um, I was just like, OK, if this is done well, like if this is done right, this could be a absolutely exceptional film. Like this could be a really interesting take on the character that we already know. And this could be a pretty good progression for a already kind of oversaturated comic book genre. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was hopeful for it. I mean, the, when the cast was coming out, like you mentioned, Zazie Beetz, Bill Camp, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, Robert De Niro, Mark Maron. It was just like a bunch of people I like and a lot of people that I find very interesting as actors. And um, given that it was going to be a kind of condensed middle budget, maybe a little higher middle budget um, comic book origin character study kind of thing. I was like, this is a very intriguing idea. Like this is I don't know if it's going to work. But this is like the kind of movies I'd like to see more of. Like I take this over like an Ant-Man 3. Like I, I think this is just by design a more interesting type of film to make in the comic book genre. And I also think that maybe I don't want more movies exactly like this. But I'd like to see more movies that try to do something like this a little more thematically complex. And kind of taking a character we already know and doing it in a way that's not entirely new. But at least a little more intrinsic and in trying to do something that's a little more like varied and dark and definitely you know this is a very more a much more like r-rated film uh but as the film it stands um i imagine i'm gonna like it more than you do because like i i don't know exactly where you land on it but i know just based on what we've uh said already that um i i think this movie it's too much of stuff that i find interesting for me to outright dismiss it like i obviously think joaquin phoenix is great in the movie uh, everyone knew he was going to be great, and I think he obviously knocked it out of the park as far as his performance is concerned. I don't think it's quite as good as 
say you were never really here as far as his performance in that or even like the master or her the ones that he's given recently that have been just really terrific stuff but he i think does a really solid job and i think he helps to patch out what i think is ultimately an intriguing idea that was probably not given to the right filmmaker i mean obviously i know todd phillips pitched this idea so it's not like he was given the film but i feel like this is an idea that if it was done with a filmmaker that maybe had a little bit more um, of a subversive touch or had a little bit more of a broader idea for what he wanted to do with this film. It could have been something that was really impactful in the way that it's intended to be. But I do think, I mean, just looking at as far as the film itself, I think it looks great. Like cinematography is fantastic. I think the score is really good about ratcheting up tension and just kind of keeping you on ease throughout the film. Um, I really like the way that it built a Gotham of the 70s in a way that felt very palpable and very authentic in a way that was like if there was going to be like a kind of 70s s New York, Philly, Chicago, Gotham, like this is what I imagine it would look like. And I like that the little details they put into it to make it look like kind of grimy and dingy, but also visually interesting. Um, I, I definitely enjoyed those touches. Um, I think it just ultimately comes down to the script. Like it's just a film that I can understand a lot of the controversy. I can understand a lot of people being concerned and upset about this film. And I can see why there are a lot of people who are worried about its possible implications. And I really hope that doesn't inspire anybody to get the wrong idea from it. Obviously, I think the film is intending this character to be a villain, not like an anti-hero, just studying the character. But um, I think what it's trying to say as far as the social commentary, is just too explicit and on the nose and blunt to be really anything that's that interesting or deep. Like, I think it's too willing to just say outright what it wants to say as far as social commentary to really get into something that's a lot more thoughtful and nuanced in the way that it's intended. And I think what it's trying to say about the mentally ill and about the healthcare system is maybe a little too muddled and a little too indecisive to be quite as impactful as has is intended to be. And obviously I just don't think the film is quite as smart and challenging as the King of Comedy or Network is another film that's very much inspired by this film or Taxi Driver, the other Scorsese film. But I just was completely intrigued throughout the film. Like there was never a point where I felt really bored by it in the way that some people were like, I just was either it was because Walking Phoenix is like at the center frame of each shot, basically, or just because there's enough interesting ideas in here that kept my interest. But even though it, I don't think it quite reaches its potential, I do find myself very intrigued by this film, and uh, I was engaged throughout. All right. Yeah, lots to go through. Uh, I think that yeah. a lot of what you're saying I'm really clicking with and really okay. agreeing with, honestly. I, I was thinking a lot about, while this movie was going, of the movie uh, Logan, you know, uh, in the sense mm -hmm. of, like, I want a movie like that. Even though Logan wasn't my favorite movie of all time or anything, I think a lot of people liked it more than I did. I did really like the conceit of it. I thought it was like, okay, like let's let's go full throttle on like a totally different, like you were saying, it's more varied, it's a little bit darker, it's it's not totally original, but that's okay. Like if we're gonna watch all these comic book movies, I agree. Like I'm I'm more interested in these sort of like standalone graphic novel type approaches to characters we already know. And that that's kind of what I really dug about going into Logan, for example, as opposed to, yeah, like another Ant-Man. I like the Ant-Man movies, but this is a movie where my expectations- That's just one are, example. Right, right. But I mean, that's the thing is like, my expectations are going to be much more elevated for a film like this, because I feel like this film mm -hmm. is going for something deeper. And you can appreciate like the Marvel films 
just sort of like in a very, I don't want to say superficial way, but in a just more of a popcorn munching way. And there's nothing wrong with that. I enjoy those films as they are, but I never go into them being like, this Marvel film is going to mess me up, right? I never go into those films mm. the way that I go in, into some of my favorite films, like Midsummer. You know what I mean? Like those films where I just feel like I'm going to have an experience. I mean, those movies are very corporate as far as like how they're made and designed. Like, obviously, they have filmmakers at the helm that are adding their own touches. But for the most part, they feel very producer driven. Like they're just trying to like kind of meet a mandate and they're like, you know, trying to be as broadly entertaining as possible and enjoyable in that way. And there's some there's some value to be had in that. Um, Absolutely. There's what, a place for yeah. that. Yes, there's a place for those movies. Yeah, but this is like. Like this and Logan are definitely more filmmaker driven films. Like this is these are type of films that are trying to be a little more artistic by design. Yeah. And for better for for better or for worse, I do think there is something just more interesting about a film that's clearly like a little more focused, a little more like intricate about what it's trying to do. And I, I think that's what you're trying to say or what you're exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. I want to have both types of films. I want the more easygoing, laid back producer-driven superhero films that we're getting. I want films like Shazam. I think they're fun and they're interesting in their own right. But I want these films too. And I, I, even though I'm going to say that I did not like this movie, I'm glad it's successful. I'm glad it's making, like I think it's like 200 million worldwide already. And I'm glad because that is sending a message that we want films like this. Like We want films that try something different. We're going to respond well to that. I don't care for this movie much, but I appreciate the swing. I do think it kind of misses, and I think you cover a lot of my main criticisms. So kind of going through it, yeah, like it there is good stuff in here. I think anybody who outright dismisses it and is like, this is the worst movie ever, that's fine. That's your opinion. I just think that it is it is worth pointing out that there is like craft here. Like there's good stuff. Mm-hmm. I do think uh, to your point about like you mentioned three films that are some of my favorite films of the entire decade. You were never really here. Yeah. Her mm-hmm. and the master. Uh, her and the master are easily in like my top. Like her is probably my favorite film of the entire decade. The master is in like oh, wow. my top five. Oh, I sent you my okay. list. Yeah, uh-huh. I, know. I, I forgot. Yeah. 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 So, I, I, I knew it was in your top five. I forgot it was number one. It is number one. I think her is the best film of the decade, in my opinion. And as, yeah, I think a lot of that is because Joaquin Phoenix is just, maybe we're overhyping him a little bit too much. I can imagine somebody listening to this and being like, all right, Joaquin Phoenix is good, but not that good. Whatever. I, I think I think people have a right to that opinion as well. I don't think yeah. he's, he's, that's the thing that I like about him though, is he's not a crowd pleasing kind of actor. A lot of people can find mm-hmm. him just whatever, but then other people, like I guess us, just really get something out of his performances and that's certainly me yeah. yeah i mean at the very least like i don't like i think every performance he does like he like fully commits to it right and i think like even if like the film it's like i mean there are some films last year that he did that i didn't think were that great like don't worry he won't get far on foot and a couple years prior he did irrational man like those films aren't great but i think he chooses films that interest him like i don't think he doesn't do anything for the paycheck like he obviously like he's not doing a DC film because like it's profitable. Like he sees something here that could be challenging for him as an actor, something that could propel him and do something that would be in what he wants to do as an actor. And I I respect that a lot. I think that's really interesting. Right. He's like the actor that Ethan Hawke looks up to. And I think, I think that's great. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I think they're like the same age, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, but I, I just say that in the sense of like, that's kind of like what Ethan Hawke, like you know, I've always gotten the sense that Ethan Hawke wants to be that kind of actor and he's really great. But like, if you had an actor who was like that Ethan Hawke was good enough for Ethan Hawke to look up to, I'm just saying like that would probably be Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, maybe that's a ridiculous mm-hmm. statement for me to make, uh, but I'm going to stand by it for now. Um, going back through some of the other stuff you said, 
I, I definitely agree with, yes, it's an intriguing idea. Not the right director. And I, I don't want to crap all over Todd Phillips here. I, I like the first hangover. I, I like Road Trip. I like old school. I, I I think he he's made some pretty decent movies. I don't think he's ever made like an amazing mm-hmm. film or anything. I think some people would disagree, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I've heard his documentaries are good, but I haven't seen them. Right. I haven't seen them either. I, and honestly, I, I always, always, always want directors to kind of go out of their comfort zone. And, mm-hmm. you know, before he kind of came out and was just like, well, I'm not making comedies anymore because he had this whole thing where he was like, you can't make a good comedy in like world culture anymore, which I was like, man, you are as immature as your movies. If you think that like we've had fantastic yeah. comedies, Taika Waititi has a comedy about like actual Hitler where he plays Hitler coming out and it won mm-hmm. the audience award at uh, the Toronto Film Festival. And you're going to come out here and be like, you quit comedy because uh, people people are woke. I mean, it. When he said that, I kind of like was like, all right, you're trying something new, not because you want to push yourself, but I get the sense that it really is about like, he's like scared to make comedies right now, which whatever, that's personal stuff. Just talking about his yeah. actual movies. I think it's both. Oh, go ahead. But I think it's both. But yeah, I get what you're saying. I think it's more so of like, yeah, he's just, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We, should, we shouldn't assume his intentions or anything like that. I don't know. I mean, there is like a trend now, though, where like, Nearly all the directors, of, like all the prominent directors of the 90s, comedy directors of the 90s and 2000s are doing like more serious fare. Like we had Pierre Fairley, um, oh, who are the other ones? Um, Adam McKay and stuff. Yeah. Like, they're like yeah. all doing this. So I don't think it's all of them are just like comedy is too woke. Yada, yada. I think exactly. they all kind of just want to do. I think they all kind of want to push themselves now. And like there's that point now, like they're all like probably at the midpoint in their careers. And it's like, well, we can either just do comedies for the rest of our lives or we can try to do something different. And I feel like that's probably what Todd Phillips is doing. But yeah, his quotes are very closed minded to say the least. Right. Because before he made that quote, I gave the benefit of the, of that doubt to Todd Phillips. I was like, Oh, he is like, exactly. I think he is kind of like Adam McKay and Peter Farrelly who are like, no, he just wants to make a different kind of movie. And there's a way to, to say it where you're like, okay, look, the really broy comedies I made in the 2000s, the early 2000s, they just aren't as popular anymore. People don't like those types of comedies as much. And that's true. Mm-hmm. And it's not because of woke culture. It's just because audiences and demographics have changed. Fewer people go to the movies mm-hmm. to see or go to the theater to see movies like that. And I think it's perfectly understandable to be like, I made movies like that in the past. It's not really what the audience's audience taste is right now. So now I'm making stuff that's a little bit more subversive and interesting. And that that to me is like, if you really want to give him the benefit of the doubt, be like, oh, that's what he means. But then, yeah, the way he went about it was just, I think, very closed minded. That said, I always am for directors like that, like comedic directors trying to make more elevated material, trying to do stuff that's a little bit more interesting and different from what they've done before. And yeah, I just don't think he he nailed it. And that's fine. I mean, I don't think I think it's a good enough movie for, you know, he can feel proud of it, I guess. But mm-hmm. yeah, as as a film all of itself, I can't say that I I care for it. And I, I do want to like positive stuff. Let's go through it. Yes, I agree. Sure. Cinematography. Great. Yes. The details, the grimy details. It's good. Lawrence sure did the cinematography. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he did the hangover films as well. Mm-hmm. He probably did war dog too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the movie, it, it, it has a good sense of location. If you feel like you're in this place, mm-hmm. you feel like it's kind of a living, yeah. breathing atmosphere. It, I think I like the word you use palpable. That, that's really uh, and authentic. It really describes mm-hmm. Gotham pretty well. And I do think, yeah, there's a good amount of tension in this movie. There's a lot of scenes that are, it's hard to watch because you're like, what is he going to do? What is, what is this person going to say? What's going to happen? Uh, 
So that's all good stuff. And I think that's all stuff that makes this film, for me, keeps it from being like an outright disaster. But I think where I just can't get on this film's wavelength is the social commentary. I, I think that I really, really was like, like throughout this movie, I was kind of like, you know what? I'm bored about a third of the time because as interesting and as dynamic as Joaquin Phoenix is, I just can't too much of these scenes just aren't edited or paced in a way where I can stay with him. And the, some scenes go on for way too long. And I think some of the the main things in this film are too predictable for me to like get swept up. There's two big twists, right? And I guess I, I just never bought into it. Like I never bought it. And I, I was just like, oh, this is what's really happening, isn't it? And then I was like, okay, that's what really was happening. And I think the source of like what makes me really not get with this this character, despite the good performance, is to me, the soul of Joker is a character who has agency, who does things that are compelling and entertaining. But this Joker, it's different and that's fine, but I just don't find a reactionary Joker as interesting. And that's all he really is. Everything that happens in this movie, he is reacting to it. Society is doing this to him. Uh, his mm-hmm. his acts of violence are a reaction to other people. And even at the very end, when I think you're finally supposed to get the version of the Joker who isn't reactionary, who whose violence isn't as incidental, it just ends up being more reactionary stuff. He just, again, it, it's not as unpredictable. That's what's cool about the Joker, right? Not cool, but like... What's amusing yeah. about the Joker is he's un- he's supposed to be unpredictable, and this is not an unpredictable movie. It's so predictable. You yeah. see it, everything coming, and to me, that's what really makes it fall short, despite all the good stuff we've talked about. No, I agree with that 100%. Like, I, I think the predictability of the film is easily one of the weakest aspects of it, especially because like every death that's supposed to be shocking, you can see coming. I mean, there is something to be valued, I do think, in the tension that builds up in each scene. Like, cause like, you know, a lot of the time that something bad's going to happen. I do think that's a credit to the score. And I think Til- Todd Phillips as well. Like he, he is pretty good about executing that sense of dread and that sense of like building escalation in a way that I found pretty intriguing as far as a kind of self-contained film. But yeah, like you said, I mean, that's the thing about the Joker is that like, you just don't, like you can't really get into his mindset. Like you, he just like such a like wild guy that you can kind of understand him at points, but he's like, so like attracted to the anarchy and the, the chaos of the world. And this movie, yeah, just is like it's. It, it, I guess by design, by being a character study and like trying to getting into that mindset, it's kind of like a give and pull where it's like you do kind of get to understand a more kind of realistic, authentic version of what the Joker would be, I guess, to an extent. But there is something to be said that yeah, he just doesn't have that predictable anarchy that like there's anarchy, but it's like you expect every bit of like shocking quote unquote uh, actions that happen. Uh, I do want to say because we kind of skipped over the score. Uh, the person who did it was Hildor Guanatier. We were talking about this before the air. Like we were like listening to some of the soundtrack mm-hmm. together, and I agree with you that the soundtrack is just top notch. Love it. Uh, this is the same the composer. Soundtrack sh- or the score. The score, which yeah. yeah. So we should be distinct because the soundtrack includes a lot of needle drops that might be a little bit more hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the score yeah. itself, yes, uh, by Hildor. Uh, she did uh, the Chernobyl soundtrack slash composition and which is fantastic i definitely recommend checking that out and so i'm definitely a fan uh, of this composer who's kind of breaking out right now but that said even though it is successful and building up the tension i i really just the social commentary here this this whole thing of like eat the rich and Mm -hmm. it's so explicit and it's so and it doesn't have to be it's so weird because like the, the the climax punchline of the movie 
there there's such a more there's such an easy interesting way to do that where i don't think this film is successful it just lays everything out and mm-hmm. the one thing that i did think was kind of in, like went down a path that i thought could be compelling was what it was saying about our healthcare system and how we yep. reject people on the fringes how the mentally how the mentally ill are really mistreated in society but yeah the, the film doesn't quite ever reach a point of specifically presenting that into the store. It just says it, right? And right. It, it just sort of like, it, I think what you said about it being muddled is key because it it implicits that like, if you don't take your medication uh, in a certain way or something like that, or like the cutting of the funding, then the mentally ill are just going to start murdering people, which right. is kind of icky, right? Like it, there's something just yeah. very strange about that. I know some people might walk away from it with a different interpretation. Clearly this mm-hmm. is a different kind of person, but that's the thing is he's, like I was saying before, he's so reactionary that like the character is built up to be a consequence of society, not somebody who is evil putting his stamp on society. And I think that is the distinction of what why some people are kind of watching this and being like, this is a bad message. Some people have gone as far to say it's a dangerous movie, which I don't I don't think it's dangerous. Like, I don't think, you know, it, it's a kind of movie that we have to like censor um, right. personally. Like it's, it's like video games, like stuff like that. People are going to like grab bad meanings from all sorts of things. And I think this movie, you you can sensibly watch it and understand that, no, it's not on the side of the Joker. Uh, what was your take on that? I know that's been a big controversy. A lot of people have been up in arms about what the message of the film is. Yeah. I mean, as far as the message or the reaction to it being quote unquote dangerous. I'd say both. Okay. Well, as far as the message, yeah. I mean, that's kind of like what I was saying earlier. Like, I think What's saying about, like you said, like it's social commentary on like eating the rich and like rising up and anarchy and stuff to like take down the like the 1% kind of mentality. Like I think that stuff is like too explicitly said throughout the film to really be thoughtful or nuanced. Like I think it's just too on the nose about that. But I do agree with you that I think ultimately what's saying about the mentally ill as far as the healthcare system is probably the most intriguing part of the film, especially about uh false martyrism and about like the idea of like people supporting someone who's willing to take down the rich even though like they're like like a false prophet and stuff like obviously that's stuff that's very relevant to now and um i think that that in a better film that could have been a really intriguing idea but i think in here like obviously like that's i think in this film it just it just too either it's either way too explicit about what it's doing to a point where it's like there's no room for interpretation or it's too muddled to the point where it's like, I don't know. I feel like it should have been switched. Like, I think like the stuff that's like talking about the mentally ill should have been a lot more explicit and tight. And I think there should have been a little more room, a little bit more room for interpretation as far as the social commentary. And it feels like it's flipped. Like, I, at least to me, like, I feel like that's kind of what's holding it back is that the stuff that should be a little bit more tighter and clear cut is not. And the stuff that should be a little more open and broad is like too contained in what it's trying to say. So that's just the more frustrating thing about the movie to me is besides the stuff we already talked about, but as far as it being dangerous and I, I don't know, I mean, I, I don't want to assume, like, I don't want to predict anything is going to happen one way or the other. Like I I'm guessing, I, I think that the, the film itself, it's pretty clear that he is like not a good person. Like I, I could see the wrong people taking the wrong ideas from the film. And I, I really hope that doesn't happen to be the case, but I don't know. It, it does feel like we're kind of like jumping to conclusions. If we assume the movie is going to be dangerous Especially because, I mean, I get why because of the Aurora shooting and there's obviously a lot of baggage there. But 
Um, I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to assume one way or the other, but I do think it all is kind of reactionary in a way that I don't know, I guess it kind of feeds into the movie's hand, but it does feel like it's kind of jumping to conclusions at the same time. To be fair to the people raising that criticism, where they're coming from is they're like, you know, this this movie is presenting somebody as sympathetic, who is someone that a lot of people might watch who are, you know, primed for that sort of violence. And they can see him almost as like the false martyr that you're talking about, like in the film. Mm -hmm. I think that's what people are worried about. And I don't think that that's a concern we should outright dismiss. I think it's a concern to listen to, worth listening to, even if you disagree. And I think I hold the same opinion in this that I do for like video games and all of that. The stuff that inspires violence is much more complicated and complex than our media and art. And when those things do happen, when people are inspired by something like the matrix, like in the Columbine shootings, shootings, I think it is incorrect. And I do think it is unfair to blame the arts or the artists for that act. I think they do bear some responsibility and how we reckon with that is its own thing. But I think right. that it's it's a little misguided to try to control art to like prevent to like legislate morality. I think that that is just that is a road we should not go down. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, when you blame art, I think that's a scapegoating. Like, I think it's just a a way of blaming something when that should be a lot like some another discussion should be had about something else. Like, I think blaming art is just like a little too clear or maybe a little too like um, simplistic. As far as what uh, the solution is, I, I never really got the idea of like blaming video games or something like that. But um, yeah, it, it's I don't know. I don't want to assume anything at the same right. time. But yeah, I would say I, I don't I don't think the movie itself is dangerous unless proven otherwise. But um, I just hope no one takes the wrong messages right. and ideology from this film. And I say, by all means, like criticize the film, criticize the message sure. and I think people should be free to point out like this message is toxic or they, they can, they should point out like, I really just think this is the type of movie that doesn't say something mean- like worthwhile. And, and in a lot of ways, yeah. I actually agree. <laughs> so I, I think that's totally fair. And I think people should do that if they hold that opinion. So yeah. And honestly, I, I kind of, I kind of uh, really follow along with the people who are like, this is so much to do about something that's just not, that shouldn't be so consequential because to me, like this isn't much of a movie. It feels like a sideshow in some ways uh, overall, uh, even though there's stuff in here that I think is is great to look at and it, there's stuff in here that I appreciate on a, on a superficial level. I just can't look at this movie and be like, this is like an important movie or this this is a movie that changes everything. I just think it's, I, I don't know, it's just, just a movie and, and I really just mm-hmm. disliked it for the most part. I just really found it confused and... Uh, something that just really didn't come together. I hold a lot of stake, a lot of I put a lot of weight into storytelling, and I think this the way this film sort of lets down dramatic storytelling uh, with its main character is just really dragged this film down for me personally. Even though th- this, there's the stuff in there that I think is good, and I I think if you had just come out with a movie, if you didn't call it Joker, maybe, <laughs> and if you didn't put the baggage of Joker onto this movie, if you just told a story about kind of a deranged lunatic, I, I might actually like this film a little bit more because I would have spent less time like ascribing the baggage of the Joker to this character. I think that it fair or not. I, I just think when you, you have advantages and disadvantages to using brand IP it's like the advantage is you get more people to see your movie. More people are more instantly curious about what they're going to see because they know and like the Joker. The disadvantage is they're going to put that onto your movie and they're not going to be able to reckon with it on their own terms. And that's why a lot of the time films like this aren't more 
fully analyze and appreciated or unappreciated until years down the road when we have some more distance. Mm -hmm. So this is that kind of film. I think that film, it's going to be proven in the years to come who, who was closer to the the more objective consensus and who wasn't for now. It's just hard to tell because there's just, there's a lot of talking going on right now, but there's not a lot of like sitting and like thinking and letting it just sort of pass. And so that we can come to some, maybe some more, uh, some deeper conclusions later on. I, I do think th- this film is going to inspire a lot of video essays that I'm probably going to watch is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but for yeah. now, probably not a lot. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this might be unpopular to say, but I want to see it again. Like, it's a time movie I, I want to have, like, more viewing to really dive into and kind of confirm my feelings towards it. Because ultimately, I mean, I am a little mixed in the film, and I think a lot of the criticisms we have brought up are justified, and I, I understand a lot of the criticisms you're presenting as well. But I, I just find it, it's interesting enough to me that I can't ignore it, but I also don't think it's deep or as uh, complicated enough to really make it something like Fight Club or, um, I don't know, like American Psycho or something like that, that I think is trying to, em- it's trying to emulate those type of films and be on their level or obviously Taxi Driver and um, King of Comedy and Network. But ultimately, I think it just, I think it's a little too self-satisfied and I think it's a little too um what's the word i guess it's like a little too like expectant or like it it, it kind of sees itself as one thing by design and i guess i I feel like the movie kind of has to earn that in a way that the movie just like i guess it expects it to be this type of thing by design and that's a little frustrating because i think if there was a little bit more nuance here and there was something like a better filmmaker i think could have done something a little bit richer and more complex. I, I do think this would have been an excellent film and the type of comic book film that I really would like to see more of. And ultimately, I do want to see more films that at least try to do something like this, because, I mean, it's very rare that we get a movie that's intentionally this like divisive and kind of unsettling in a way that is in this big of a scale on this uh, uh, blockbuster scale, basically. That's not like we said with the Marvel movies trying to be kind of broadly appealing or something that everyone can kind of enjoy at least on a surface level like this is a film that's trying to get into some nitty-gritty stuff i just don't think it has quite the thoughtfulness or the headiness to really have the 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 courage of his convictions but i do think the movie does it, it has the courage to say what it wants to say at the same time and i mean i don't think it has the the best mentality about it but i do think that the movie uh, is willing to do what it wants to do with the uh, kind of fearless uh, mentality. And I don't know if that's for the better or for the worse, but it's something I, I ultimately have to admire. All right. Well, what was your final grade for the film? It's a good way to wrap it up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm between a B and a B minus. Obviously, I'm a little more positive on the film than you are. And I, I think I haven't really talked about a lot of the things I did ultimately like about the film. But I mean, I think for a lot of the criticisms we brought up and for things that I didn't really even discuss. Like I, I thought of the stuff with the Waynes without getting spoilers was kind of dumb. <laughs> um, like I, I, I just thought the way they were kind of thrown into the story um, wasn't great. And there's like other things like, like a, a involving a viral video that feels too convenient to kind of move the plot along and stuff like that, that kind of frustrated me throughout the film. But what would go viral in the 1980s? I mean, come on. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just weird to me. Cause like, I mean, like I said, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's like, Obviously, Robert De Niro's like character is supposed to be like a Johnny Carson type, but he's like doing like a very Letterman kind of thing. And Letterman wasn't even on the air for like 10 or 15 years after this. 
and like who was videotaping that uh, it's a whole matter um anyway yeah it, it's to me it's like a, a fine b minus like i was too intrigued by it and i was too invested in the story to ignore it and i, I was engaged throughout and i i do like these kind of dark character studies in a way that i don't know it just appeals to like the type of movies i enjoy as a uh, a person that likes kind of more complex and uh, darker films. But at the same time, like I could tell, like this is the type of movie I think a younger, dumber version of me would have probably liked a lot more. And I feel like I'm, I'm hopefully at a more mature uh, and introspective place in my life where I can acknowledge the flaws of this film and see that uh, for the stuff that does well, there are a lot of things that could have done a lot better. And for that, I'll give it like a firm B minus. All right. Yeah, echoing a lot of what you're saying. I think my main thing with this film is just it's, it's I just found it very sloppy and I, I I just think it never really comes together. I I give it a C. I I just think it's like really like right in the line where like half of it there's good stuff, half of it there's terrible stuff. And ultimately like I don't want to see this movie again. I I just was far too bored by it. And maybe maybe in a few years after there's been some distance and some curiosity, I might go back to it. But honestly, I would much rather see the films that it's aping uh, than mm -hmm. the film itself. Honestly, or I'd want to see the Heath Ledger performance. So yeah, it's mm -hmm. just a C for me. I can't say it's like the worst movie of the year or anything like that. It really isn't. Uh, you could do way worse. But I definitely found myself walking out of the theater pretty disappointed and uninterested in whatever might come next, which is a shame because I think that if they did another thing for this, which I think not a great idea necessarily, and I I, I would rather this be a standalone. But if they did do, did yeah. do something else, at least they could learn from their mistakes. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I, I think what made it appealing to me was that it was a fairly standalone film. Like it wasn't a franchise starter in the, the traditional sense. Like I like that it was a fairly honed uh, self-contained film. And I wanted more films like that. They're kind of like one-offs in that respect. Like I don't, I don't need this to have like a trilogy to really, I, I think everything I wanted to say was said in this film. And I, I mean, I don't know if they make a sequel, I'll, I'll probably see it. Um, mm -hmm. It'll give me an excuse to watch the film again and determine one way or the other where I stand. But yeah, I agree with you. I, I think a standalone would probably be the better approach here. I just can't imagine Joaquin Phoenix doing a sequel to anything. Um, has he ever yeah. done the same role twice? I can't think of a single time. Um, I don't think so. So that would be a first. Unless he did the voiceover work for Brother Bear 2. <laughs> I don't think he did. I don't, I don't I think he imagine. did that. <laughs> um, but all right, that is Joker. Let's talk about how this film is doing at the box office and with critics and audiences. All right, this movie costs between 55 and 70 million dollars to make. Pretty high budget for kind of a this kind of comic book film, but definitely not as high as a lot of other films we've seen especially this year. So far, it's made 234 million dollars worldwide. That is incredible. Uh, far more than it needed to in order to break even just in its first week. So this is going to be uh, one of the more successful R-rated films of recent years. And in fact, uh, so some reporting from Adam Tickets, who uh, I report for, uh, this this film actually outpaced pre-sale tickets for Venom and It Chapter 2, and it just has been cleaning up, and I think it's going to continue cleaning up for the rest of the month uh, and doing mm. quite well, because there really aren't a lot of other films for it to compete with of this, both of this genre and of like, like there's no other superhero films coming out anytime soon. Uh, a lot of the films that are coming out soon aren't quite like, they're not like event movies in the way this one is. Yeah. I think like the, 
the next event movie we'll probably see is like frozen two i don't think mm-hmm. maleficent two which i see tomorrow I, I don't really see a lot of like people coming out for that necessarily and um i don't know what do, what do you yeah. think with maleficent with maleficent two you mean um i don't know i don't ever want to discount disney because they yeah. will market the heck out of anything that they have but um I don't know. I'm, I'm not seeing like a lot of interest for it, but I'm not not seeing interest for it. I think it'll just do okay. But I, I agree yeah. with you. I don't think like between now and Frozen Two, this will probably be the bigger release comparatively. Yeah. Well, this one, Joker, it's already doing far better than projections had it, and critically, yeah. I mean, it's it's got a 69% on Rotten Tomatoes, nice, and that's out of mm-hmm. nearly 400 reviews. It's like one of the the highest review counts I've ever seen for a film, um, mm-hmm. like getting up into the 400s. So 69%, nice. I think that that's like, you know, teetering on like mixed to positive, which makes sense. You have a lot of people who are just really high up on this film and you have people on the low, on the really, really low side and then plenty of people in between. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say one thing that does at least interesting is that I don't think anyone's walking out of this film having the exact same opinion. Yeah. Which I find intriguing, like like us, like I think we agree on a lot of the same things, but we ultimately have much different perspectives right. on where we stand on it ultimately. And I think that's an interesting point of discussion for a film, at least critically. I just kind of wish there was more meat on its bones to discuss. Can you guess the cinema score? I want to see if you'll get this. Have you seen it already? Cinema yeah. score? Yeah. I'm going to guess, like, I don't think it's going to be high because I think it's a little too divisive to be. I'm going to say B minus. B plus. Yeah, higher okay, than B plus, okay. yeah, yeah. B plus, which is pretty good, okay. pretty good for uh, this kind yeah. of film, for an R-rated film especially. So not yeah. not amazing, but uh, yeah, audiences are definitely coming out, probably being like, oh, I liked it, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and then that definitely okay. some people coming out being like, I loved it or I hated it, you know, it's all over the place. Yeah. But that is Joker. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation about this movie and other movies. If you would like to check out even more Cinemaholics content, all of our stuff is on cinemaholics.com. And again, please consider checking us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. And you can leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. Or send us an email, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Links to everything we talked about for reaching out to the show, including our social media pages. All that stuff is in the show notes. And next week, we're going to be talking about the Adams Family, Gemini Man, maybe Jexy. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to check that one out. Um, uh, that's that's probably a tougher one. To, yeah, I'm going to probably skip that for El Camino. The Breaking <laughs> That's right. Bad movie. El, El Camino comes out on Netflix this coming week and Parasite hits a limited release. Parasite is one of the most one of the most anticipated mm-hmm. critical films of the year. Uh, I'm not going to be yeah. able to see this. I, the earliest I'll see it is like next week. So I definitely won't have a chance anytime soon. And I don't think you will as well, Will, for a little while. Yeah, I don't but see it. as soon as we see it, we'll be sure to talk about this one. I think uh, it was on our most anticipated oh, yeah. of the fall. And I, I think that I think that this will be one to talk about, whether it's good or bad or in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, keep an yeah, eye I'm out for, excited. keep an eye out for our next episode. Probably be talking about Gemini man. I think that'll probably be our main review. That is the Will Smith yeah. uh, thriller movie from Ang Lee. We'll see how Will that Smith goes. Smith and Will Smith. Will Smith and Will Smith star in Will Smith. Yeah. All right. That'll do it for this week. We'll see you next time from the internet, California. I'm John and And from internet, Pennsylvania. I'm Lash. See you next time. If you just,